It was a few weeks ago that I, I asked if uh, the congregation would want to take a couple of weeks and look at what the Bible says specifically concerning this, this time period known as the last days or the end times. And uh, so what we decided, and, and you, you overwhelmingly said you, you wanted to, so I said we would take two weeks. And we're only going to take two weeks. There's so much more. But we're going to take two weeks and we're going to focus in on just the prophecies, two prophecies that Jesus gave concerning this time period. Now, last week I said that it was the single weirdest Bible study I could ever give, and, uh, and you came back, so that's good. But uh, last week was the weirdest, but today will be the single most politically incorrect Bible study that, that I can give. So are you up for a little bit of political incorrectness? Okay, well, we'll we'll see how it goes. So we're going to look at something today that many who would even profess to be followers of Jesus will look on at this and they will disagree with Jesus on this. And so you don't want that to be you. I'm a Christian. Uh, Like many of you, I grew up in the church and and, uh, my faith was never really rocked until I went away to college and then ultimately in grad school and all that. And um, it was there that I really had to wrestle with why I believe what I believe. Is this truth? Is it truth enough? Uh, Is it absolute truth that I'm willing to bet my entire life and uh, my family's eternity and, you know, my attorney and our attorney on on what we find? Well, um, what happened in my study is I came across what's called predictive prophecy. So God says he's going to do something that only he can do, and that is he's going to tell us how it, be- how it happens, how it's going to end uh, before it even begins. He's going to tell us how it turns out even before it happens. So he says it like this there in your outline. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times the things which have not been done. God says, because I'm God, no one else, no other faith can predict the future, especially with 100% accuracy. And so uh, God says, here will be the test. I will tell you in advance how it's going to happen. And when it happens the way that I said that it's going to happen, you'll know that I'm God because I'm the only one who could do that. So there's no other book of faith on the planet that is built upon what we would call predictive prophecy. Uh, so so that, that's one of the things that makes it very unique. And so far prophecy has been 100% accurate. So for instance, it was uh, written way back in the Old Testament that Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, when he would be born, he had to be born in a little town of Bethlehem. Now Bethlehem is only somewhere between three and five acres in size. It's out in the middle of nowhere. So if he was born in another town close by, we would say that's close, but you can't be the Messiah. It also talked about how when he would present himself as the king, he would present himself as the king in in a way that nobody does. He would present himself as the king by riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. You know, most would choose a horse or something a little bit more powerful, but he that that would be the way. So if he came in on a mule, we'd say, well, that's close, but but you can't be the Messiah because it it wasn't a hundred percent. So God laid it out throughout the scriptures how he would appear the first time. And uh, when we think of that first appearing, like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day, one of the things that we miss is that there, there were a few thousand people there who were waiting 
for the Messiah to ride in on that particular day because it had been laid out in the Old Testament specifically in uh, the book of Daniel exactly when he would ride in and he would present himself as the king. And there were a few people and so when he comes into town, they erupt and they say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We, We celebrate that as Palm Sunday. But as he rides in, there were a few thousand who were waiting, but there were a few million who were there in Jerusalem who were not waiting. Uh, it, it had kind of escaped their notice all that the Bible said about his appearing. So when he rides in, you know the story, I put it there on your outline, it says, when he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and wept over it, breaks his heart, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. In the Bible there's this principle when someone will not see, ultimately they cannot see. Uh, they now been hidden from your eyes. It says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies throw up a barricade against you and will surround you and hem you in on every side. And, you'll, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And I want you to underline the next word, and the next word is because. Does everybody see that word? The word is because. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. They were supposed to recognize when he would appear. They were to be waiting. Because it all happened just as the Bible said that it would. But it had been a long time, and over time, their religious leaders began to say things like, you know, don't focus in on his appearing. When he gets here, he gets here. But don't worry about how all of that takes place. I mean, you can't really take those things literally. But it happened just the way that the Bible said that it was going to happen. So then he looks down over Jerusalem on this day and he says, you know, now because you've missed it, some, some really bad things are going to happen. You are supposed to be waiting and watching for it to happen just as it was prophesied, just as the Bible said. And, and sadly, they, they missed it. The Bible speaks more than twice as much about his second appearing than it does his first appearing. He held them responsible, he says, because you did not recognize. He held them responsible to recognize his appearing. The question is, does he then hold us responsible, if there's twice as much written, to recognize the time period in which we live, if he held them responsible? And I would say that that he does. He holds us responsible. So in the Bible there are some specific signs and prophecies that were given. We talked about one last week. Go ahead and write this down in your outline. The last generation begins when Israel becomes a nation. Last week we looked at this, but you can find this throughout the Old Testament. And it says there on your outline from Ezekiel, it says, and you will come up against my people Israel. And I want you to underline my people Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. And it will come about in the last days, last days, that I shall bring you against my land. Uh, One of the things that, that you find in the Bible is God never refers to Israel as Palestine. To refer to Israel as Palestine is like poking God in the eye. And here's the reason why. The word Palestine is the word Philistine. Philistine. Palestine. It's the same word. So when we declare that as the, that land belonging to the ancient uh, enemies of Israel, that's an insult to God. God always calls it my land, my land, Israel. But what we see here 
is he says that come uh, my people Israel in the last days. His people Israel would be back in the land in the last days. Now last week we were in Matthew 24 and we talked about how uh, Jesus as he talks about that refers to that as becoming the last generation when Israel goes back into the land. Israel ceased to exist as a nation in 70 AD. And for almost 2,000 years, from 70 AD to 1948, there was no nation of Israel. It's the only nation on the planet to ever not exist, uh, to go over 1,000 years and then come back into the land and become the land, as God said that it would. So in 1948, it becomes a nation again. And when that happened, we talked last week, you would see the beginning or the increase of what the Bible calls the birth pangs. More and more intense, closer and closer together. And, and we talked about that last week. Well, one prophecy that was given by Jesus we're going to talk about today in uh, Luke chapter 17 is accelerating before our very eyes and it's becoming more and more intense. So I'm going to pick it up in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20. And uh, it says in verse 20, it says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees, and I want you to underline the word Pharisees, as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, there are times when you'll hear somebody point to this verse and they'll say, why are you looking at the signs? I mean, there, there's, it, it tells you it's not going to come with signs that you're going to observe, so why are you looking at that? Well, let's consider something. Notice here, he says in verse 20, he says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees, in our study of the Gospels, are the Pharisees believers or are they unbelievers? Unbelievers. So to the unbelievers, Jesus says, it's not really going to come with any sign that that you're going to get. And and the reason for that is they want to know when the kingdom is coming, but he happens to be the king of the kingdom. And they don't recognize that. So if you don't recognize the king of the kingdom, you're probably not going to recognize anything else. That's the gist. Does that make sense so far? So then you go to the next verse in verse 22. And it says, and he said to the disciples. Now wait a minute, are those unbelievers or are those believers? Believers. So to the believer, he's going to say something very different. He's going to say, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the sons of man, and you'll not see it. And they will, they will say to you, look here, look there, or look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. For just like lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, uh, shines to the outer other part, Uh, of the sky, so the Son of Man will be in his day. It's going to happen instantaneously. But he first must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. It's going to be a while before this takes place. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So uh, the flood came and then destroyed them all, it ends up with. Now we talked about this last week, it would be like the days of Noah. Noah was preaching it, sadly few people would believe, few people would heed, and uh, we talked about that again last week. So then we come to verse 28. It says, that was the sign we looked at last week, and he says, it was the same as happened in the days of Lot. I want you to underline the word, days of Lot. 
They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day, and we're going to be talking about a specific day, that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So again, in that day they'll be buying, they'll be selling, there won't be this worldwide meltdown before Jesus comes back. Those businesses usually might say, go ahead and write this down. What we're going to find is it's going to be business as usual in an unusual time. But verse 30 he says, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Whatever was going on on that particular day is going to be going on on the day that that he is revealed. He comes back for the church, we might say. So it goes on in verse 31, he says, now on that day, the one who's on the housetop, whose goods are in the house, must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one in the field must not turn back. And then I want you to underline verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. That's going to be important for our study. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then Jesus says, so let me tell you how this is going to happen. Verse 34. I tell you that on that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two men in the field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. I I put that passage on your outline and I want you to fill in the blanks, and I'll give you the, the fill in. It says, I tell you that on that night, there will be two in one bed. So that's night, and you want to write that down, night. He says, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two, will be, two women will be grinding at the same place. In the Middle East, women would get up and they would grind the meal early in the morning so that they could b- bake bread for the day. So that would be morning. You want to write that down. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. Of course, that's the daytime. One will be taken and the other will be left. There will be a worldwide event that will take place simultaneously, night, morning, day, and uh, one will be taken and one will be left. It's an event that we refer to as the rapture of the church. It's a wonderful story for another day. Jesus says, it will be just like the days of Noah, and he says it will be just like the days of Lot. What is important in that is he never says it will be like the days of Ezekiel and Isaiah. He says to Noah and Lot. So Israel will become a nation and uh, we've looked at that and that would begin an acceleration. We looked at that last week. But then what was going on on the days of Lot, on the day that Lot was removed? And for that reason I've asked you to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis 19. We're going to look at a chapter that makes no sense in the uh, flow of the book of Genesis other than it's an end times prophecy. Genesis 19. So um, everybody at Genesis 19? Now what I want you to do is, is, as I put the story together, God is coming, he's sending two angels to this place where Lot is. It's a town called Sodom. And God says something in Genesis chapter 18. So everybody look back over to Genesis chapter 18 real quick. And verse 20, and God, as he's having a conversation, he says, and the Lord said, this is coming straight from the Lord, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. There's something going on in this town that God, as he views it, is exceedingly grave. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's very um, uh, exceedingly great. We'll just leave it at that. 
Now, chapter 19 is where the story begins. Lot is the grand or is the nephew of Abraham in the Bible. And he's living in this town of Sodom. And in verse 1 it says, now the two angels, and I want you to underline the word angels, they're going to appear as men, but uh, we're going to know them as angels, came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate, underline sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. So one of the things that we're going to find is that when it says he's sitting in the gate, in those days, 4,000 years ago, if you were sitting in the gate, that meant that you were part of the city council. And other verses will tell us that Lot is very affluent at this time. So go ahead and write this down. Lot is a leader in the community and he's financially blessed. And that's something that we find uh, several places that that it refers to that. So Lot the believer here recognizes who these two guys are. But what we're going to find is that the rest of the community does not recognize the significance of these two guys. Verses 2 and 3 it says, Now he said, uh, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you will, may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, but she, we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he, I want you to underline the word he, prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. He urges them. The idea is that you're not going to be safe if you stay out here in the, in the city square. I had you underline the word he there. Um, it, it implies something. And if you would just go back to Genesis 18, one chapter back to verse 6. These same angels have come before they come to this town. They're, they visited Abraham. And in verse 6 it says, as they visit, it says, so Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, that's his wife, and said, quickly prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. 4,000 years ago in the Middle East and and today, if you had guests over, your wife would then prepare the meal. And so that's the idea. Uh, it was it was part of their, their culture. It would be their way of showing generosity and hospitality. In verse 3 of chapter 19, one of the things we see is that it's not his wife that prepares the meal, it's he that prepares the meal. Does everybody see that? This is a subtlety in the text, but it's going to tell us something that his wife, although she's going to be living in Lot's house, which is going to be the house of the believer, she's going to reject the message and the messengers. And uh, she will not have anything to do. She will, she will not participate. We'll see as, as uh, we travel through. Well, um, so verses uh, 2 when it says Lot, Lot is going to represent here, and I want you to write this down, is going to, Lot's house is where the, the believers dwell. We're told Peter, Peter would write that if he rescued righteous Lot, uh, Lot was a believer. We're going to find out that he has some major issues, but he's a believer. And so that'll be important for our study. So Jesus says it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man appears. It comes from, comes from the church we would say. Verse 4, before they lay down, underline the men of the city, the men of Sodom, he's driving the point home, surrounded the house. I want you to underline both young and old, underline that, and all the people from every quarter, underline that. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. And uh, so when it says the men of the city 
of Sodom wanted relations. They don't want to just get to know them, is the idea. The town is called Sodom, from where we get the word sodomy. Um, do I have to get any more graphic than that? Can, can you make the connection for me so, so I don't have to fire myself? So, <laughs> so we see in verse 4, it says that what was going on, it would be just the same. So in verse 4, it says, before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old. Uh, which tells us, and you want to write this down, it was being taught to children as normal behavior. Whatever was going on was being taught to children as normal behavior, because it's young and old who come out. So maybe in their elementary schools, they were passing out books called Mommy, Mama, and Me. Or uh, maybe a book, Who's in a Family? And uh, this book, it says... Robin's family is made up of her dad Clifford, her dad's partner Henry, and Robin's cat. And it talks about that family where there's two men. And then uh, here's, here's a book, Be Who You Are, and it has a little boy looking in the mirror, but he sees a little girl in the mirror. So whatever was going on was being taught as normal behavior to the young because it's the young and the old that come out. Now when I, when I say that and I show those books, I'm not here to go, and that's so disgusting or be angry about that. My, my point is just saying, if, uh, if you were in elementary school 40 years ago and you see what's being put out now, you'd say, our world has really changed. It's really changed. And it's changing just as the Bible said it would change. Make sense so far? So again in verse 4 it says, before they laid down the men of the city, the men of Sodom surrounded the house both young and old, and people from every quarter. So apparently what was going on was widespread. And you want to write that down. It was widespread, uh, every quarter. Verse 5, it says, They called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may have, uh, but we may have relations with them. So this sin that was going on, and you can write this down, was practiced openly and was accepted. It was just openly and was accepted. It's important to note that Lot is not leaving his house to go and protest what's going on. But there's a group that is showing up at his house, the household of the believer. And uh, Lot's house represents the household of the believer. Verse 6, it goes on, and it says, But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, underline the word brothers, do not act wickedly. It's important that Lot calls the behavior wicked, but refers to the people as brothers. And you want to write that down. Lot is the picture of somebody who hates the sin, but loves the sinner. And uh, so again, uh, Lot is not going out after this group. This group is showing at, at, at Lot's house, at the house of the believer. Verse 8, now behold, Lot says, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man, Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. I think a lot has some issues. I, so, so there are those who would say you know, he, has a, he has a very distorted view of what's appropriate. And I think there's some, some truth to that. I think this verse is here to make sure that we don't miss that the men of the city want nothing to do with his daughters. That's, that's not why they're there. They want the men. And I think that that's there to emphasize that. Lot here is negotiating with this particular group. 
and trying to work this out. We're going to find he can't work it out. And sadly he's doing this because he doesn't recognize that just behind the door there are two angels. He does not, he's right now is not aware of the incredible power that is right next to him, uh, which is literally going to be at his disposal. Well, verse 9, it will say, but they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came in as an alien. He is already, underlined, acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. They want to break down the door of the household of the believer. And notice, I had you underline, it says he's acting like a judge. This particular group is coming to Lot's house and they are, incus- they are accusing him of being intolerant. Go ahead and write that down. He's being intolerant. You're acting like a judge. And once again, Lot's not out protesting that it's coming to the house, uh, attacking the household of the believer. Verse 10, it says, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. That's the two angels, they bring them in. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. Again, you have the principle in the Bible, those who would not see now cannot see. And for this particular group, there's a blindness that's visited upon them. We also see that something happens in this population here that affects them physically and it affects the small and the great. Something, something we might say medically. Uh, and I, I want you to notice that verse 11, they respond, it says, they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. And so what we see there, and you want to write this down, it's obvious that the Lord is intervening. But in their blindness, they do not repent. They respond by pressing harder. That's how they, they respond. So there's a militancy to break down the door of the believer. Jesus says it will be just the same. Now you and I live in a very unique generation. We saw in the last two years for the first time people sued because they said, I cannot participate in this behavior, in, in, in this lifestyle. Uh, we've seen people jailed because they said, I cannot participate. We've seen people lose their jobs because they say, I cannot participate. And uh, you and I, again, we live in a very unique generation, which is unlike any generation since uh, Jesus was on the earth. So Lot has resisted on his front doorstep, and now the angels tell him how to respond in this situation, verses 12 and 13. It says, then the two men said to Lot, whom else have you in here? A son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of the place, for we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Uh, The angels are telling Lot, this is the last call as you see this taking place. Grab whoever you can, because something is about to happen. It's important to understand that here the message given to Lot by these two angels is not, we're going to win it back, we're going to turn it around, it's going to be better than ever, we're going to make this thing great, it's grab whoever you can and let's get them out of here now because something is about to happen. That makes sense? Sadly, it will be the same as it was with Noah. Most will reject the message, most will not prepare. It will be just the same. Verse 14. 
Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. And he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. Uh, There's a couple of things there. First of all, um, not everybody's participating in this. Lot has two daughters and they're engaged to two guys. They're not participating in what's going on. But sadly, um, not everyone will believe the message. Most will reject And uh, we'll see how interesting that gets in a few moments. Verse 15, it says, When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated, so the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put them outside of the city. Lot literally has to be grabbed by the angels and pulled out of the city. And some see that as a reference to an event that you and I would call the rapture of the church. Amazing story, story for another day. Skip down to verse 22. You can read the, the verses later on, but verse 22, the angels say, oh, here's where you've got to go. And, and it says, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the town was called Zoar. Zoar just means few or small. So Lot is going to the place that will be named few or small. I think that's significant because what we're going to find is that few will wind up going there as most will reject the message. Well, um, go ahead and uh, write this down. Uh, as, As God's wrath is about to be poured out, God's wrath can't come until the believer is removed and arrives at the place of safety. So when we see the things that Lot saw happening just the way that it happened, I believe that tells us that we are very close to that removal. Verse 26, but his wife from behind him looked back and she turned and she became a pillar of salt. So here's what I want you to write down. Lot's wife lived with believers, but wasn't saved. She wasn't saved. You see, she was there in the household of the believer, but, but she was never really a believer. When it says that she looked back, the Hebrew word is nabat. And there on your outline, it means to look intently at, to regard with pleasure, to favor or care. The idea is that her true heart was back in that town. It was not at the place of safety that the Lord had prepared. She had already rejected the messengers and the message by not participating early on. And now what we find is that although she lived in the household of the believer, her true heart is revealed. And although she was part of the household of the believer, she was not a believer. And so ultimately she was not saved. Which is why I believe when we were looking in Luke 17, Jesus gives a warning. And here's what he says. I put it there in your outline. We underlined it. Remember Lot's wife. And uh, I believe that that is a warning to the church, where sadly, even in the church, like Lot's wife, many will reject the message and, and the, the messenger, and they will be like Lot's wife. And the Bible speaks a great deal about that. So it will be just the same. Whatever was going on on that day, you know, it was being taught to the young as normal, it was widespread. Those who didn't agree were called judgmental or intolerant. And so I, I believe that you and I live in a very unique time. But what I also find interesting is that before 
the door is able to be broken and that enforced upon the household of the believer, the believer is removed. And we saw that as the angels do that. So I believe that we are very close. Verse 24, it will say, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And uh, judgment did come, but few were ready. Few were ready. Do you find that interesting? I believe that we live in a very unique time, but I do need to say something else. If you're here today and you struggle with same-sex attraction, I feel like I need to say something, but no matter what I say, it's not going to be adequate enough. But I would want you to know that you are not alone. And this is something that we are going to see as we get closer and closer to the Lord coming back for his church. We see it in the, in the days of Lot. We see it just in our, in our general society. The fact that somebody is tempted is not a sin in itself. We're all going to be tempted by something. But God doesn't make somebody gay and then turn around and say, it's a great sin. God doesn't make anyone gay. But what takes place is that there is uh, another entity. And you know him as Satan. His goal, his role is always to distort and change God's plan and God's design. Never forget that Satan is a liar. And he will do his best to distort and to deceive. So he will always try to distort God's plan and God's design. So Satan will come along and he will say, I can give you a better plan, a better design than what God has given. But he's a liar. So to distort God's design and God's plan, Satan looks and he he knows our life. He knows our bents. He knows our weaknesses. And he begins to whisper and begins to speak in. This is who you are. This is what would be enticing to you. But notice what Paul would write in the New Testament. Paul would say, but no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So same-sex temptation is a temptation uh, as any temptation might be. But all temptation is dealt with in the same way. But we are never, God never allows us to be tempted beyond what we are able. He always provides a way out if you want it. He always provides a way out if we want it. I found in my life that the way that I deal with temptations that come is I avoid them. I, I stay away. Notice this verse. I want you to underline a few words as we travel through. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. A stronghold is something that has a strong hold on you. And, and uh, different people have different strongholds. Or something that is, you know, might, might just really grab you, has a, has a way of really grabbing you. Satan has a way of, of looking at our weaknesses and then whispering into our spirit, you might say, into our mind, certain things. And as he whispers. But never forget 
that he's a liar. Now I love, I love the stories when somebody says, you know, I'm struggling with this and I went and they prayed for me and I was delivered. Aren't those great stories? But I noticed something about that verse that we just underlined. The wording in there has words like war, weapons, and warfare, and fight. Um, the idea is that some things are just a battle. They're going to be a battle. But never define yourself by your temptation. So we have weapons that we can use. And so in it's places like this, that a little bit of study in spiritual warfare can go a long way. There on your outline, uh, Paul would say it like this. He says, flee immorality. And then he writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says, flee youthful lusts. The, the truth is whatever we're tempted by, one of the things that we're going to have to do is to stay away from it and pretty much forever, forever, whatever it is that we're tempted by. There's a lot more that could be said about this, but I know that today is the uh, most politically incorrect teaching that I could ever give, but it's coming true exactly as he said right before our very eyes. You don't want to be the one like Lot's wife who finds herself living in the household of the believer yet rejecting the message the messenger, and ultimately at a certain day find that the truth was revealed. And although she was part of the household of the believer, she was not a believer. That makes sense? And so with that, I'm going to wrap up and close in prayer. Next week, we will go back into our study in Matthew, and uh, we'll pick it up there. Did you find that interesting today? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as, as uh, we wrap up this teaching today, Lord, we see that as you said, you will say this is how it's going to be before it ever happens. And then when it happens, we look on and we say it has to be you because it's happening exactly the way that you said. Our heart is, uh, as believers in this day, as we look at your message to Lot, grab whoever will listen, whoever will still respond. Lord, we want to grab those around us for what is absolutely coming here in what appears to be the near future, be it a few years or a decade, but still in the near future. Father, we, we want to be effective in reaching those that you want to reach. And then Lord, for those of us, maybe, maybe we've been part of the household of the believer but we found ourselves even today disagreeing with what it is that you have specifically laid out. And so today in your grace and your spirit, you've opened our eyes and we realize that you are true and we want you. So we invite you, the true God, the true living one, Jesus our Savior, to come into our life and to forgive us and accept us as yours. And then, Lord, as we go forward, we pray that you would open our eyes to the things that are taking place around us so that we really can represent you rightly in this time and place where you've called us to exist. I pray, God, that you would keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.